Well, it's week number two of our series on the Holy Spirit. And before I begin, I want to invite everybody again to join me for lunch today. If you have never taken uh, Discover 101, I want to invite you to have lunch with me today right after service over in our family center. We've got child care provided for you. We've got lunch for you. I'd love to sit down and get to know you and meet you, share a little bit of our vision, our DNA, uh, how we operate as a church, our, our financial accountability, how we spend money, and what it takes to be a member here at Coastline Church. I'd love to have a lunch with you today. So join me right after service over in our family center. I'd love to see you there. And then tonight is our dedication of our prayer chapel. Five o'clock, uh, we'll be up at the chapel site. And then at six o'clock, we're going to have a night of prayer and worship with Pastor Saeed Hussein. And Saeed is incredible. He was a Muslim that was converted to Christ, has a dramatic testimony that he's going to share tonight. He's the pastor of the prayer ministry over at Phoenix First Assembly. So we'd love to have you join us tonight. It's going to be an incredible tonight and water baptism this afternoon. If you've never been water baptized, join us at Ed's house. Ed is here in the front row. Uh, he lives literally walking distance. You can uh, throw a rock and hit his house from here. So if you want to know where to go, talk to one of us after service or see Ed. Uh, from 2 o'clock to 4 o'clock, we're going to be baptizing. So just show up sometime between 2 and 4. We'd love to see you there. Love to have a chance to, if you've never been publicly water baptized, we'd love to see you water baptized as a profession of your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, today, week number two, uh, is is not a, a fun subject as a pastor to preach on because there's a lot of controversy uh, regarding this subject. And the reality is there's a lot of goofiness, there's a lot of weirdness, there's a lot of craziness out there in the world. And so what I want you to do today is take a blank page approach. What does that mean? That means imagine you've never heard anything taught on the Holy Spirit. You've never seen anything on the Holy Spirit. You've never heard anything about speaking in tongues or praying in tongues. Uh, and you're just taking a fresh approach to the Bible today and looking at what Scripture has to say. What, what would you come up with if you just looked at Scripture for itself? Because this is a controversial subject. I mean, the reality is probably the two most controversial subjects in Christianity internally, externally, we deal with evolution versus creation internally believers, probably the two most controversial subjects are the two things that Satan fights against more than anything else to, to pollute, to confuse, to pervert would be tithing in tongues. And I want to address tongues today from a biblical scriptural perspective so that we all can understand at least what the Bible has to say about it. Uh, because there, how many know there is a lot of weirdness out there? Uh, let's just be honest. There's a lot of weirdness. There's a lot of goofiness. There's a lot of, cra- we call it the crazy charismatics. Believe me, I know. I've seen it. I've, I, I, I've, I've been to those churches and they creep me out. I'm um, just being honest. But I don't want to allow that to keep me from something genuine. I don't want to allow people's humanity, people's flesh, people's uh, uh, abuse of something or craziness. The reality is if they were coin collectors, they'd be weird coin collectors. See, we like to blame the Holy Spirit for their weirdness sometimes. They're just weird people. Let's just be honest. You know, if they weren't Christians, they'd still be weird. It has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit because some people struggle. Like uh, I, I was discussing with someone last week and they said, you know, I just struggle with the area of speaking in tongues because I know people who claim to speak in tongues and, and, and they live terrible Christian lives. And, you know, I, I see the hypocrisy in their life and I see, you know, and, and, and the reality is I've seen a lot of people the very same way. But at the same time, I've seen people who read their Bible who live like hypocrites. I've seen people who go to church that live like hypocrites. I'm not going to stop reading my Bible because somebody who reads their Bible doesn't live it. 
you know, and so what we do is for some reason we like to, because this message today is supernatural, that's the reality. That's that most, most of what we preach from the Bible, you can do even if you're not saved. You know, love your wife. You can do that even if you're not saved. But there are certain aspects to Christianity. There are certain aspects to our faith that you can't do without God. That, that it is, we were created as believers to live a supernatural lifestyle. That's just the reality. What does supernatural mean? It's not weird. It's not twilight zone. It's just, it, it's just anything above your natural ability. Is supernatural. That, that's all it means. Anything above what you're naturally created to do. There are certain aspects to our faith that are supernatural. Now, again, you need to understand something about the Holy Spirit. He is a gentleman. He will never force himself on you. He will never make you do anything. He will never, never, never possess you or control you. Now, he may ask you to do some stuff you don't like, but he's never going to make you do anything. He's never going to supersede your will or control you or possess you. He is a gentleman and he is here to love us, to comfort us, to help us, to guide us. And so if you understand that he is a friend and he only wants the best for you, then it's a lot easier to get into subjects like this. So let's let's tackle the subject today. I encourage you if you if you have a Bible, open it up with me this morning, or you can pull out uh, your your sermon notes from the worship pack, all the scriptures in there, along with some fill in the blank areas for you. I, I encourage people to follow along with scripture. I like to use a lot of scripture. I realize when I use a lot of scripture, people assume I'm a lot smarter than I really am. Uh, but my trick is I just stick to the Bible. Uh, the Bible's a lot smarter than me. So let's get into the Bible today and really take an honest blank page approach to the to the subject of tongues. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. I invite you to look with me. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Look at those words, one accord. I want you to hold on to those words because we're going to come back to those words at the end of the message today, one accord. But I want to stop at that word Pentecost because that word scares some people. Uh, the word Pentecost scares some people. I mean, the reality is we think of Pentecostals, we think of weirdness, we think of goofiness, we think of craziness, and, 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 and rightfully so, because there are some weird people who call themselves Pentecostal. I mean, you've got the West Virginia Pentecostals who like to handle snakes, and then you've got, you know, I mean, there's just some weird stuff out there. But I want to I, I kind of teach you what this word Pentecost actually means, because it's not that scary of a word. The word Pentecost comes from two Greek words. The first Greek word is pente, which means five, or it's where we get our word pentagram. The second, the second part of the word is kosti, which means to the tenth power. So literally translated, the word Pentecost means, are you ready for this? Fifty. I know that's scary. I know that can freak you out, but that's literally what that means. Fifty. That's what fifty what? Fifty days after the Passover, God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Fifty days after the children of Israel left Egypt, went through the Red Sea, God gave the law on Mount Sinai. So the people of Israel to this day celebrate the Feast of Pentecost or celebrate God giving them the law on Mount Sinai. And so every year in Jerusalem... Uh, the, Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem swells. And back in this time in Acts chapter 2, they said the population of the city was around 80,000 people. And during the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles, three specific feasts that, that the Jewish people celebrated, the city would swell to some 250,000 people. 
Because Jewish people from all over the world would take a spiritual pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. So you had Egyptian Jews there, you had Ethiopian Jews there, you had Roman Jews there, you had Grecian Jews there. You had Jews from all over the world who spoke different languages and different dialects and had different accents all in town to celebrate this event. And and, and the similarities are amazing because we as believers celebrate Pentecost differently. We celebrate Pentecost as the day God gave us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to us. And if you look at the similarities, they're amazing. 50 days after the Israelites escaped Egypt, were rescued from Egypt, were saved from Egypt, God gave the law on Mount Sinai. He gave the law on Mount Sinai. 3,000 people died. 50 days after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved. It's amazing the similarities between, between the original Pentecost and the Pentecost we as Christians celebrate today. Let's look at verse 2 with me. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Let me explain. That will freak you out. You know, imagine sitting in this room, all the doors closed, and all of a sudden, hurricane force winds. The Greek word is a gale force wind fill the room. Imagine a hurricane type wind filling this room with the doors closed. That would freak you out. That's scary. Let's just be honest. That is scary. Verse 3, then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire, uh, tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. So now we've got tongues of fire sitting on the 120 disciples here in this room. There's a hurricane force wind. Now they've got tongues of fire over their head. This is scary. I mean, this will freak you out. I mean, that. anyways, this is, I would have liked to be in that room just to see the expression, but then I can't imagine if I would have controlled myself. Uh, Verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about being baptized into the Holy Spirit. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now let me, let, let me explain something. This word tongues in the Greek is the Greek word glossa, which is where we get our word glossary. It's literally translated language. It's better translated language. They began to speak in another language, a, a language they did not understand. And this brings me to the first point today. Tongues is a language. It is a language. If you're following in your notes, it is a language. It is not gibberish. It is not babbling. It is a language, and you have to understand that it is a language. It is not just, just babbling and gibberish. It is a language. Acts 2, verse 5. Let's keep reading. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. I would imagine so. I mean, imagine you're at this festival, 250,000 people in town, and all of a sudden you hear, I mean, there's not a cloud in the sky, and you hear a hurricane force wind coming out of a house. That will gather a crowd. People are going to begin to gather around. And it says they were confused because everyone heard them speak. Heard who? The, The disciples, the Galileans, the 120 in this room. They heard them speak in his own language. Now, this word language in the Greek is the Greek word dialectos. See, when it said tongues, it was the Greek word glossa, which means language. This Greek word is the Greek word dialectos, which is a dialect or a specific language. This is not language in general. This is a specific dialect, a specific language, a a specific accent. And the reason this is so amazing is these were Galileans. 
These aren't educated Jews. These are Galileans. This would be the equivalent of what we like to call in America our hillbillies. I mean, here they are speaking specific dialects. The, the, the accent is perfect. And these people from all over the world, the, the, the Egyptian Jews and the, 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 the Grecian Jews and the Ethiopian Jews are hearing these Galileans, these uneducated, untrained people speak in their native tongue, their dialect perfectly. And, and, and it was just a mystery to him. It began to freak him out because this isn't possible. They don't know our language. And that brings me to a point. Let me explain a couple of the myths about speaking in tongues or, or, or some of the myths about praying in tongues, because a lot of people are afraid of this because they don't understand it, because quite honestly, it is mysterious. The Bible says it is mysterious. But let me explain some of the myths so that we can handle it a little bit easier this a little bit easier this morning. One of the first myths is that people assume or believe that you start speaking fluently the first day. Like, like when you when you are baptized into the Holy Spirit and you choose, it's a choice, it doesn't control you, when you choose to begin praying in tongues or speaking in tongues, that you are fluent the first day. Well, the Bible doesn't say that they spoke fluently. The miracle, the Bible says, was that the people heard fluently. It didn't say they spoke fluently. It says they heard their language, their dialect being spoken fluently. That's the miracle. Tonight, you're going to hear an amazing testimony from Pastor Saeed for those of you that want to join us. Pastor Saeed was converted from Muslim to Christianity because he heard a message in tongues and he heard it in his native tongue from somebody that does not know his language. A, a total miracle that brought him to Christ. You'll hear the testimony tonight. This is what's going on. People are hearing their language being spoken perfectly by people who do not know their language and don't even know what they're saying. So the first thing the Holy Spirit did when he come was he changed our tongue. But you don't start speaking fluently the first day. Uh, let me ask a question. How many of you have ever learned a, a second language? You, know, you, you don't start speaking that second language perfectly. What do we call people who know uh, a second language? Bilingual. What do we call people who know only one language? American. Because we're about the only people in the world that don't know two languages. Most countries in the world, they all know at least Two languages. Uh, anyways, l- let me explain something. A lot of people are afraid of tongues because th- they simply have this fear. Well, what if I don't do it right? Well, what if I don't do it right? What if I, what if I don't? L- let me explain something. Your father's going to think it's cute. He'll think it's cute. He will. I, I have a four-year-old son. He's learning English. He doesn't do it right all the time. I mean, the other day I was bothering him and he yelled at me, Daddy, stop antagonizing me. I mean, I don't correct him, son. That's the wrong way to say it. It is antagonizing and say it right. No, I, I, I think it's cute when he, when he misses up his words. I think it's cute when he tries and he's, and he's learning the language and he's, and he's doing his best. To, I, I think it's cute. The thing is, your father's going to think it's cute. If you'll simply yield your tongue and, and step out in faith and, and, and just try, even if you don't get it right, guess what? God's going to think it's cute because you tried. Number two, second myth people have is that you can't control it. A lot of people are scared of tongues because they think they, they, they assume you can't control it, that the Holy Spirit possesses you and comes over you and you have you have no control. And I know people who actually fear that they're going to be standing in Ralph's one day and all of a sudden it's going to hit and they're going to grab the microphone at the cash register and boom, they're going to belt out this message in tongues over the PA system and completely humiliate themselves. People, I'm telling you, people have that fear. 
Let, let me explain something. Can you control the gift of teaching? Yeah. You decide when to teach, where to teach, how to teach. Can you control the gift of prophecy? Yes, the Bible actually says prophecy is subject to the prophet. Let me explain it like this. It's just like praying in English. When, when, when I pray in English, I decide when I'm going to pray. I decide where I'm going to pray. I decide how loud I'm going to pray. I decide how long I'm going to pray. I choose when, where, how, how loud. It is subject to my will. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He is not going to override your will. He is not going to force you to do anything against your will. He gives you the choice. He gives you the option. But you decide when. You don't know what you're saying. But you choose when, where, how, how loud, all of that. Third thing that people uh, uh, confuse about tongues or a myth they have about tongues is that that it's just going to jump out of you one day. Like you're just going to be walking down the street and it's just going to jump out of me. And they say things like, well, if the Lord wants me to have that gift, it's just going to come out of me one day. I don't have to seek for it. I don't have to ask for it. I don't have to to attempt or try. It's just going to jump out of me one day. Let let me be honest. I don't want to be ugly, but that's about as foolish to believe as when you're walking by the offering box today, a dollar bill just jumps out of your wallet into the box. And then you look at your wife and say, look at that, honey. I've got the gift of giving. I mean, a dollar bill is not going to jump out of your wallet into the offering box. You are going to have to stop. You're going to have to cooperate your will with the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's how tongues operates. It, it, you have to choose. You have to ask. You have to. You have to I mean, the reality is when you, when, when, when you receive the Holy Spirit, the Bible says you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I genuinely believe that every believer filled in the Holy Spirit, has the ability, the grace to pray in tongues, whether they activate it or not, whether they know it or not, whether they use it or not, because again, it is your choice. It's not something that God gives some people and doesn't give other people. You have, every believer has the choice, but you have to choose, because again, God is not going to go against your will. Number two, the second point I'd like to talk about today is not only is it a language, but it is a language of the Spirit. It is a language of the Spirit. Let me explain this to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to be going through 1 Corinthians 14 and looking at a few different uh, uh, verses throughout this chapter. So I, I invite you to look at 1 Corinthians 14 with me. Listen to this. Paul says in verse 2, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Now, let me ask you, what do we call it when somebody talks to God? Praying. That, that's the definition of prayer right here. When you speak to God, that is the definition of prayer. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but he speaks to God. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about praying in tongues or praying in the spirit. Because he's speaking directly to God through his spirit. This is the definition of prayer. Keep reading. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. See, no one understands him, but in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Why? Because he's not talking to men. He's not even praying in his own understanding. He's praying directly to the father. And why is this important? Because in Romans 8, Paul says, we don't know what we should pray for. How many of you internet? You don't know what you should pray for. You don't know what's around the corner. When your children are out of your sight, you don't know what you should be praying over them. You don't know what they're getting into. You don't know what could potentially happen. You don't know what's next for your business or career. We don't always know what we should pray for. 
That's why God gives us an ability to, to pray in mysteries, pray outside of our own understanding. And for those that struggle with this, I would encourage you to memorize these next two verses, verses 14 and 15. Memorize these two verses and just spend some time meditating on them. Uh, don't, don't take you know, my word for it. Just memorize these verses and meditate on Scripture. Let the Holy Spirit speak directly to you through Scripture. Let's look at these. In verse 2, is it clear enough? Paul goes on to say, verse 14, For if I, notice those words, if I, what does that mean? It's a choice. This is a choice. It's not going to possess you. It's not going to control you. This is your choice. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not going to impose his will on you. If I pray in a tongue, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. Do you remember a phrase that we see often in the New Testament, praying in the spirit? We see that a lot in the New Testament, praying in the Spirit. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna show you a few of those in a moment. There's this phrase that, that, that Paul uses an awful lot and other writers use, which is praying in the Spirit. Let me explain something to you, because a lot of believers today, they, their definition of that phrase is praying in the Spirit is when I pray in English with the direction of the Holy Spirit. But that's not what Paul teaches. Praying in the Spirit is not praying in English under the direction or guidance of the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is praying in a tongue. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. Now, let's keep reading because, because Paul explains this even further. He says, my spirit prays, but my understanding. What is your understanding? Your mind. Your mind. So, so Paul's not talking about praying in English or, or praying with your understanding because your mind doesn't understand. So, so praying in English under the direction of the Holy Spirit can't be the same as praying in the Spirit because Paul says when you pray in the Spirit, your mind doesn't understand what you're saying. My, but my understanding, my mind is unfruitful. I, I, I don't understand what I'm praying right now. I'm speaking in a mystery. I don't get this. Verse 15, he says, what is the conclusion then? He says, well, I will pray with the spirit. What is that? Praying in tongues. And I will pray also with my understanding, with my mind. I will sing in my spirit, sing in tongues, or, and I will sing with my understanding, my mind. See, if you are praying with your understanding, then you are not praying in the spirit. You're praying in your soul. And let me, let me explain that because th this is absolutely so clear. And I know for some of you, it's tough to hear this. You know, right, you're hearing this and something's rising up inside of you. You're uncomfortable, agitated. Some maybe even be getting a little angry because we've been taught something our whole life. And this, this kind of goes against everything we've been taught. But let me ask, why do you feel that way when you hear scripture? You know, what is it about the Bible that's making you feel that uncomfortable? What is it about these passages? Because Paul says it so clearly. You know, and, and, and I get it. I understand. I grew up Baptist and I'm not saying all Baptists are like this, but I grew up Baptist and I was actually taught growing up that this was of the devil and this doesn't exist anymore. I had somebody come to me after first service and say, you know, I was in a small group years ago and the pastor said that this doesn't exist anymore and th this is not for us. And when you hear people doing it, it's of the devil. I was actually taught that growing up, that, that stuff that is in scripture. But Paul says, listen, I'm going to pray in my spirit. And I'm going to pray in my understanding, my mind. I'm going to sing in the spirit and I'm going to sing in my mind. So let me, let, me, let me ask you to think about this for a moment. How many people in our church, how many people in America, how many people who claim to be Christians only pray in their own understanding on a regular basis? Only. 
That is their prayer life, is praying in their own understanding. How many of our prayers are not being fulfilled because we're only praying in our own understanding? That's why Paul says we don't know what we should pray for. Let me explain something. As human beings, we're made up of three pieces. We're made up of our spirit, our soul, and our body, our physical flesh. What is our soul? Our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. So let me put it like this. How many people only pray soulish prayers? They only pray prayers using their mind, their will, and their emotions, but they don't pray prayers in the spirit, in a mystery that they do not understand. Paul, Paul, Paul goes a little bit further and even puts it this way. And again, let, let, me, let, me, let me clarify something about the Apostle Paul. He is probably the greatest apostle to ever live. I mean, Paul, I said last week, wrote one-third of the New Testament. That's a third more than you wrote. I mean, just put it out there. And not only did Paul write a third of the New Testament, but the Holy Spirit, God himself, wrote it through Paul. So when you read the Bible, this is God speaking to us. Paul goes on to say in the very same chapter, I wish everybody spoke in tongues. And he says, don't forbid anybody to speak in tongues. Look at this, verse 5. I wish you all spoke in tongues, and, but even more that you prophesy. Now let me explain something in the Greek, because sometimes we see that word but in the Greek, and we think Paul means instead. You know, I wish you spoke in tongues, but I'd rather have you do this, so if you have a choice, choose this. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying and. Paul is saying also. Paul is saying even more. I want everyone to speak in tongues, and I want you to prophesy. He's not saying either or. He's not saying multiple choice. He's saying, I want you to do both because there are radical benefits to both. One blesses the body. One blesses public ministry. One blesses yourself and builds you up privately. And then verse 39, he goes on to say, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Don't forbid it. We have entire theological persuasions today that disobey this verse. We, 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 have, we have whole theological viewpoints today that, that disobey this verse of Scripture and forbid people to do it and tell people it's demonic and it's of the devil and you shouldn't do that because you're going to open yourself up to demons. Jesus addressed that. And, you know, Jesus addressed that in Luke chapter 10 and Luke chapter 11. People, you know, you, you meet people that say, well, I don't want to open myself up to this because what if I get a demon instead? You know, what if I open myself up to tongues or open myself up to the Holy Spirit and, and somehow, you know, like a, a demon gets in? Look, look, look at this in uh, Luke chapter 10. Jesus is talking about demonic powers and demonic influences and spirits. And I want you to notice two specific words that Jesus uses. He says, behold, Luke 10 verse 19, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Remember those words, serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He's saying, listen, I'm giving you power over demonic power. I'm giving you power. And he calls these demonic powers serpents and scorpions. Now, the very next chapter, Luke chapter 11, Jesus is talking about asking for the Holy Spirit. Look at this. Verse 11. Luke 11, verse 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent Instead of a fish. Look at that word Jesus used. Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? So if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
I mean, Jesus addresses it right there. If you genuinely ask God for the Holy Spirit, you genuinely ask God to give you the gifts of the Spirit, why on earth would a loving father allow a demon to get in? It makes no sense. Jesus addresses that issue clearly right there. So let me ask, why is Satan so afraid of this gift? Why, why does Satan want to confuse this gift and pervert this gift and, and confuse our mind on this gift? Well, Proverbs says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. Think about that. Your tongue literally has the power to create life or death. You can speak life or death over your wife. You can speak life or death over your husband. You can speak life or death over your children. You can speak life or death over your career. Your tongue has the power of life and death. We're going to do a series this fall on the power of our words and how we're going to give an account to God for every word you speak. There's an angel that literally records every single word you say. And you will give an account for every word. Why is God so strong about words? Because your words have the power of life or death. So is it possible that you could submit your tongue to the Holy Spirit? Is it possible that you can submit your tongue to to a mysterious language that you don't understand that allows the Holy Spirit to pray through you prayers that will benefit you, prayers that will bless you, prayers that will protect you, prayers that will prosper you? You don't know what you're praying. But the Holy Spirit's praying through you. So this, this, this is what I'd encourage you to do. If, if you really, you know, want this gift, want this ability, which is available for everybody. God doesn't, you know, select some people to have it. And some people don't. This is available to the body of Christ at large. I would just encourage you next time you're alone with the Holy Spirit, when you're in the word, when you're doing your quiet time this week, you're in the Bible. Just stop for a moment and yield your tongue to the Holy Spirit. Just just begin to speak out syllables God is putting on your heart or in your mind, just begin to speak it out faithfully. You may not do it right at first. It may sound, your mind's going to tell you you're making it up. Your mind's going to tell you this is gibberish. Your mind's going to tell you you're babbling. Just speak it out. Just be obedient. Just just yield your tongue and, and begin to speak it out. And, and you may or may not feel emotionally. You know, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I didn't feel anything emotionally. Some people, when they accept Christ, they're very emotional. They cry. They feel emotional. It's the same with the gifts. It's, it's the same with the Holy Spirit. You may or may not feel anything when you do this. You may or may not see any, any immediate results, but we do it out of obedience because as we do it out of obedience, we begin to see breakthroughs and we begin to see. All I can tell you, honestly, uh, from my personal journey is I know the difference. I can tell you my faith level, and I'm not talking about, you know, because again, let's get out of this side because there are some Pentecostals, some people who pray in tongues, who believe they're super Christians and they're better than everyone else. Forget about that. Anyone who genuinely operates in the Holy Spirit will never feel like they're better than anyone else. They're never going to look down. It's not, God doesn't create two classes of Christians, those that can and those that can't. This is a gift of grace. None of us deserve it. This is a gift of of grace. But I can tell you, honestly, I can feel the difference in my life. I can feel when I'm building myself up in the faith and when I'm not building myself up in the faith. And Paul even talks about this as part of our armor. You know, in Ephesians chapter six, when it says, put on the whole armor of God, you know, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. Look at this in Ephesians six, verse 17 and 18. Paul ends the armor with praying in tongues. Look at this. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Paul doesn't say pray always in your understanding. He says pray always in the 
Spirit, and Paul was very careful to clarify what it means to pray in the Spirit. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. This is part of our armor. Jude 1 verse 20 puts it like this. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. How many of you would like to strengthen your faith? Build up your holy faith. Build it up because sometimes it just takes a little bit stronger faith to get through the day. You know, I need to build up my faith daily because on my own, I ain't worth much. I'm just being honest. On my own, I don't deserve to be here. On my own, without, with, without my faith, without the grace of God, uh, I ain't much in life. So any opportunity I can to build up my holy faith, I'm going to take it. Because I need my faith strengthened on a daily basis. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul goes on to say this is, this is a gift that edifies yourself. This is, a, this, is a, this is a gift for you and God in your private prayer time. And again, there's a difference between the gift of speaking in tongues, which is a public ministry, and the grace of praying in tongues, which is for private edification. And that's a lot of what 1 Corinthians 14 is about is because people were abusing it. They were going into public worship and church services, and people were carrying on in tongues, and Paul had to say, stop it. You know, you're gonna, unbelievers are going to think you're crazy. Doing it like that. That's for you and God. That's a private prayer language God gives you to build up your faith. It's not for public ministry unless uh, there's certain stipulations on it for public ministry. Like with Saeed who got saved. We're going to hear his testimony tonight. That's one of the uses. You use it for public ministry. But apart from that, this is our private prayer language between us and God. So let me ask you a couple questions. Is it possible today that you could be losing out on some battles in your life because you're not putting on the whole armor of God? Now, is it possible that you're losing some battles today because you're not allowing your spirit to pray? You're only praying in your natural understanding. You're only praying with your soul, but you're not praying with your spirit. And that brings me to my third point that we're going to close with is it's a language. It is a language of the spirit. And number three, it is a pure language. This is a pure, a, a heavenly language. Language, a language that's not of our world, but a pure language. And what do I mean? Well, I invite you to look at Genesis chapter 11 with me as we close. We're going to go through Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to look at a couple things here in Genesis 11. Verse 1, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Well, let me ask, what was that one language that the whole earth is filled with? Was it Hebrew? Well, no, because Abraham, Abraham didn't come onto the scene till Genesis 12, and Abraham birthed the Hebrew nation. Was it English? Definitely not. So what is this one language that the whole earth was filled with? Well, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, on a daily basis in the Garden of Eden, they walked and talked with God. What language did Adam and Eve speak when they walked and talked with God? Is it possible that Adam and Eve spoke in a heavenly language as they communicated with God because they didn't know anything else? Is it possible that Adam and Eve spoke to God on a daily basis in a heavenly language? Well, from Genesis 1 to Genesis 11, we have no record of languages being changed, started, or added. So is it possible the language that the whole earth had at this time was the language that Adam and Eve spoke in the garden when they talked to God on a daily basis? A heavenly, pure language. Now, now what happens with this language? Verse 5, drop down to verse 5 with me. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The people got together and they wanted to set themselves up as God. And they decided they were going to build a tower of Babel. They were going to build a tower that reached from earth into the 
heavens. This is a a massive, incredible architectural feat that they were going to try to accomplish. Impossible for us to do today. And they were going to build this tower. Verse 6, and the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. What was special about these people? They had one language. And that one language made them one. They had one language. They had this, this one language. What language? I believe it was the heavenly language. I believe this is the language Adam and Eve spoke to God with in the garden. They had this language. And goes on. God goes on to say, and this is what they begin to do. Now look at how God responds to them. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. They have this one language. And God says, with this one language, nothing they propose to do is going to be withheld. You realize this is the same language that Noah had when he built the ark. This one language. Speaking this one language, nothing they propose to do is going to be withheld from them. So what does God decide to do? Verse 7, come, let us, what is us, that's the Trinity, go down there and confuse their language. He says, we've got to take this language away from them because with this language, anything they propose to do is possible. That they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Well, the obvious question is, why didn't God just let them try? Well, the answer is scripture tells us that they could have done it. They could have done it. They could have built this tower. God said nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. And the reason they were special, God said, is because they all had one language. And that one language brought them together. See, this is my theory. What if we could pray in a language where nothing we propose to do will be withheld from us? What if it was possible for God to give us a language that when we pray with this language, nothing we pray with this language will be withheld from us? Let me put it another way. When I pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit gives me the words to pray through me. So let me ask a question. Will God the Father say no to God the Holy Spirit any prayer? I bring up in the spirit. So that's the beauty of this language. I have the ability to pray a prayer that will always be answered. Now, I don't know what the prayer is and I don't know what the answer is. And but one day I'll get to heaven and I'll be able to see all the prayers that were answered through praying in the spirit. But that's what's incredible about this. That God gives me ability to pray in a language where nothing I propose to do will be withheld from me. Because it's the Spirit of God praying through me. And let me show you this in a prophecy that was fulfilled. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9. Zephaniah is prophesying over the time of Christ and the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit returning to us. And look what Zephaniah says in this prophetic word. In Zephaniah 3, verse 9, he says, For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language. He says, I'm going to restore to the people a pure language, a perfect, heavenly, pure language that they may all call on the name of the Lord. What does that mean to call on the name of the Lord? That's praying. He's talking about, I'm going to, I'm going to restore to them a language where they can call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. Where do we begin today? Acts chapter 2. The Bible says they were all with one accord. 
And here we see those words again. God says, I will restore to them a language where they can call unto me a pure language. That they can call. See, this prophecy was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. God restored to us a language that we lost. A heavenly language. And he restored it to us for us to call upon his name. Notice the word restore. God doesn't say, I'm going to create a language. I'm going to make up a language. He says, I'm going to give back. I'm going to restore a language. A language where you can call out to God. A language where nothing you propose to do will be withheld from you. You know, my desire as the pastor here is the same as the Apostle Paul. I wish everyone spoke in tongues. Why? Because I understand that it will build up your faith. It'll strengthen you. Because there are days where you don't know what you need to pray for. And you've been given an ability to pray a prayer where anything you pray, it's not going to be withheld because it's the Holy Spirit praying through you. This is a tough message. I know, man. I, yesterday in our intercession meeting, I asked the prayer warriors to pray over me. I said, listen, I can't intellectually argue this message. I can't logically persuade anybody into believing this message. It's just not going to work. I mean, this is, this is one of the few messages I preach a year that you actually have to be a Christian to understand and get. Because, because you just can't, you know, walk out and apply how to love somebody better. I mean, this is, a, this is a supernatural discipline of the Christian walk and the Christian faith. So how are we going to close? Not the way you think, so calm down. People are scared. We're going to bring them up, make you. I have a philosophy. We don't make anybody do anything here. I present scripture and I let you wrestle with it with God. I'm not here to make you, to manipulate you, to control you, to, to, to try. I'll encourage you, but I'm not going to try to get you to do anything. That's why, that's why we don't do an offering at our church. If you want to give, if you want to tithe, that's between you and God. It's not between us. I'm just going to teach the scripture and let you deal with it on your own. So what I encourage you to do this week is get alone with God. Take the notes, reread these scriptures get along with God and wrestle this out with him. The Holy Spirit will either confirm this message or he'll make me out to be a lunatic. But I'm on borrowed time anyways. I shouldn't be here. If people really knew my story and how dark and evil my past was, there's no way people would let me be a pastor. I'm here today because of the grace of God and the grace of God alone. So I'm on borrowed time. So I just have to be obedient. So I want you to wrestle this out this week. You know, if, if you're really hungry for it, come back tonight. Tonight's going to be a prayer and worship service. Saeed's going to be you know, talking about how he converted from Islam to Christianity through the gift of tongues. So if you really want to learn more about it, come back tonight. But I want you to take this and wrestle. Close your eyes with me real quick. I want to ask anyone here today. I know it's not your typical message, but let me, let me ask if there's anyone here today who God is just stirring in your heart. Not about the message, but he's just stirring in your heart. You know today you're not right with God. You know today God is not first in your life. You've never said yes to Jesus Christ, or maybe you said yes, but you've walked away from God, and today God is saying it's time to come back. It's time to come back. So before we close, as we do every week, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to God, to put God first, to to receive Jesus Christ 
as your Lord and Savior. Make a decision, make a commitment to follow God with all your heart. If that's you today, God's stirring in your heart. You need to make a decision to put him first. Again, nothing to do with the message. Salvation is a standalone act. Right now, I'm just asking you to put God first and say yes to Jesus. You can figure the rest of it out later. But if you need to put God first in your heart, God's stirring in your heart today, would you, with every eye closed, would you raise your hand quickly so that I can say a prayer for you? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Put your hands down. Let me lead you in a simple process of prayer. The first part of prayer is you invite God to have first place in your life. That's receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So right now, I want you in your own words, in your own way, just in your heart, I want you to just pray, God, I invite you to take control. I invite you to be first in my life. I receive Jesus. So right now, pray that prayer in your heart. Second part of that prayer is you just ask God to forgive you, man. We've all messed up. We've all messed up. I like to say we're all in need of the same hospital. Some of us just checked in maybe a day or two early. So just ask God to forgive you. You know what for. In your heart, just ask God to forgive you. And then lastly, I want you to just say thank you. Simple as that. Just say thank you to God. Now, those of you that raised your hand and prayed that prayer, I'd like you to do a couple more things. I want you to tell somebody today that you prayed that prayer. Tell somebody. The Bible says believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Tell somebody today you prayed that prayer. And then on your connect card, on your worship pack in your seat, there's a box that says, I put God first. I want you to just check that box. It says, I put God first. Drop it off in one of our offering boxes. Give it to me. And we want to connect with you this week and really help you understand what it means to walk it out. And then at our table outside, there's some Now What books, great books to get you started, uh, get you following God. Uh, Or come join me for lunch today. Join me for lunch right over in the Family Center. I'd love to have lunch with you, uh, share a little bit about our church with you, and just just get to know you. So everybody stand with me as we close. I just want to sing a couple verses of this song. And let's just, together for a few moments, imagine what it would look like as a church if we just worship God like he was here today.
从来。